Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Tara, thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. What shit do you want to talk about today? I would love to talk about the fact that I have um, defied pretty much every expectation um, every professional has ever had for me as a person with a disability. And that's the shit that nobody wanted me to ever talk about and never once exposed. Damn. Because to, to this day, they don't want people with disabilities to really surpass their expectations. Damn. And I guess uh, to for those uh, listening and you, know, you didn't get the insight of being on our intro call, so I have the inside scoop. <laughs> uh, Tara and I had a conversation um, probably about two months ago now, and uh, just the way Tara described uh, the shit she's done and and being an author on top of all of that, and I was. I'm very impressed, Tara, in the fact of like how down to earth you are too. And just like, I'm like, Tara's just super chill and has done a lot of shit. So let's reel it back some and uh, tell, tell our audience about what, when you say that you have a disability and defying, you know, all expectations, what is your disability and how would you explain disabilities? Okay, so first of all, I have to start the contextualizing with my diagnoses, because that's where it kind of starts for me and for a, a lot of other people. And I was born with spina bifida, hydrocephalus, Chiari malformation, tethered cord, um, and a, a number of other. You just used a lot of big words that I don't know what they mean. Yeah. So basically, my main diagnosis is spina bifida, which is a, a curvature of the spine. Okay. Our spines always curve. Nobody has a straight spine. Mm -hmm. No matter what anybody tells you, nobody has a straight spine. But there's a very slight curve. Mine is a very, very pronounced curve. And in fact, it's a very pronounced outward curve towards the stomach. And there's another one around the going from right to left. So I've kind of got this weird shape going on in my spine. So that's my... Is that like a backward yeah, S? Like I'm trying to picture it's, this. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a backward S. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like a backward S. And so that... From the day I was born, that left a gaping hole in my back because <laughs> you're looking you're looking at me horrified <laughs> i wish the audience could see you in the, you, you now because <laughs> i mean if, you're they, looking they, at... if they watch on youtube they will if it's you know if they <laughs> listen to it they won't but yes uh audience okay. like my face is i i have a lot of facial expressions um, and yeah um... and right now it's horrified <laughs> okay um but basically, what it, what it is, is where, where the curvature is, where the, where the spine curves dramatically, there's um, nerve endings that collect. And 
they collect in what kind of looks like a half a tomato. If you if you picture a tomato cut in half, that's what it kind of looks like, a half a tomato. Now picture all of those nerve endings being poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> You're like basically starting to describe that you have a, a snake in your back, like a well, venomous snake. And, and here's the interesting part, is that um, organically, none of this is bad until I'm born. <laughs> it's only when the baby is born and subjected to the environment outside of the womb that it becomes toxic. But as soon as the baby is born, that sac needs to be removed. And that's where the child born with spina bifida um, has impairments because wherever that sac is removed, uh, depending on how high or how low down the spinal column it is, uh, everywhere from that down is um, has lack of sensation or lack of um, performance. So mine is halfway. <laughs> so it affects my left leg. It affected both legs at one point um, and um, somewhat, you know, my breathing and somewhat my belt bowel and bladder, but you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's sort of where that is in a nutshell. Underneath that diagnosis, there are a whole lot of sub, uh, sub diagnoses. <laughs> Okay, so picture an umbrella that has multiple prongs and each one of them represents a, another condition. I'm still that's, picturing that the umbrella has a snake wrapped around it that's venomous. Like I'm still, I'm still stuck on the snake. <laughs> yeah, no, the snake is gone. <laughs> the snake is gone and, and we're all good. Um, so we're... Uh, we're now dealing with the umbrella that's got all of these um, prongs that have uh, that represent the subdiagnoses, and I just have a very prongy umbrella, <laughs> and so I just have the motherload of subdiagnoses, and um, I just. I'm just, you know, blessed with having all of them. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, you're, you deal with what you're given. And none of it really matters to me now. I mean, you could, I could vetch about the learning disabilities. I could vetch about the... Um, headaches and all of this stuff and at the end of the day the person you're actually talking to is very blessed because despite it all and despite my very colorful history and my very colorful life um, I sit here with a double bachelor's degree and a master's degree and um, I'm a coach consultant um, trainer in the disability field um, I'm an author and um, that and just to be clear that doesn't mean that I submitted 
a poem in a an anthology with a thousand other authors. No, no, no. I wrote my own book. <laughs> now, uh, to, to go into what you're saying, too, I'm literally going to Google right now. What is a disability? And... A disability is any condition of the body or mind impairment that makes it more difficult for the person with a condition to do certain activities, activity limitation, and interact with the world around them, participation restrictions. And I, I, I Googled that. It looks like it's from the CDC. Um, I, I mentioned that in the fact that the way that you've described you know, what's going on. And you did, you said you didn't even mention the learning disabilities. I think a lot of people don't realize what there's such a huge, such a broad scale of what a disability is and how it affects each one of us. And so, uh, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll just turn this one on myself of I'm horribly dyslexic. I'm ADHD and school is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. I hate school with an absolute passion. I love to learn. I hate school because I don't fit in that box because of my own learning disabilities. I have a hard time uh, knowing what is straight in front of me to be able that structure to be able to finish it myself. And luckily now I have uh, like support pillars is what I call them of my friends, of my family, of my boss, my coworkers that go, Jen will answer all of your crazy questions, but you still have to work on your job. And they remind me to go back to my job. That's, that's a learning disability that a lot of people don't see um, where Tara may have disabilities that people can see, but then they don't consider how it is uh, a lot of people may not consider how that could affect learning disabilities and c- how amazing it is for the schooling that you've done. And as we move on with the story, the uh, where you live and who you live with. And um, well, and, um, and that's the thing. I mean, when when you consider you have non-visible disabilities, I have both visible and non-visible disabilities. And in my experience, it's my non-visible disabilities that have been a heck of a lot harder to deal with than my visible disabilities. Because yes, there's a certain amount of stigma that I have to deal with just walking down the street just dealing (laughs) with everybody um, because I just present differently and some people just are weird about that and that's becoming less and less and less because that's becoming less accepted but the notion that there's something I can't see that's wrong with you that I have to somehow make allowances for. So it's impositioning me. There's a thousand questions that, that pop up in people's brains. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, what is it? How much time is this going to take out of my my day? How much do I need to accommodate this person? What does this actually mean? Um, and can't they just get over it? <laughs> you oh, know? I hate that one. Like more than anything. Oh, I hate I hate that one more than anything. Um, you you kind of you kind of know when somebody parks themselves in front of you and they're using a wheelchair, especially a motorized wheelchair, that they're probably not going to spring out of the wheelchair. Okay? If somebody has dyslexia and says, 
I have a diagnosis of dyslexia, or I have an anxiety disorder, or I have, um, <laughs> I have a major depression. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you name them, I'll just, you know, uh, put yeah, how many yeah. fingers with yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, people, people are going, yeah, that's nice. Okay, don't get it. Okay, don't get it. Okay, don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like over my head, over my head, over my head, over my head. And the assumption being it's your problem, you're going to fix it, and it's going to take me an exorbitant amount of effort to figure out how to make this work. Whatever this is, it's going to take me a tremendous amount of work to make whatever our interaction is feasible. And I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> and I don't have that kind of energy. So deal with your shit. <laughs> I like that. I, I've, I've, I've wondered in the fact that in how to share, especially learning disabilities, like, so what I call my real job, I mean, the podcast is a full-time job by itself, but then I do have an actual job. <laughs> and, uh, I, was able to start, um, I can read a teleprompter, which is reading out loud and reading as you are seeing it, which is really difficult for me because I skip words uh, with my dyslexia. I put words, I'll skip lines. I also put words backwards in the funniest one. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before is uh, I read a sentence that had the words, penguins feces that is not what the sentence said the sentence says pentagon faces <laughs> um, I, I, I have an equally funny one. Oh, please share <laughs> okay because i because i have i have <laughs> i have learning disabilities um as well and um one day I was writing a paper and I wrote, I wrote my paper. I'm a pretty good writer and I'm pretty detailed in terms of my editing skills. So that's not my, I have spatial dis, uh, learning disabilities. I spatially, I don't get things and depth perception is real really problematic for me. But on this particular day, um, I, I did come, come across the fact that I do from time to time have a dyslexia issue as well. And that's not entirely surprising considering my family history. So, uh, <laughs> So I had written a paper and it was good and it was uh, for history and I got it back and I think I got an A minus or something like that. Really good mark. Except on every page there was a question mark. A question mark on every single page and I think this was a 15 page paper. Why? because the professor's name was Dr. Gentles. And I wrote Dr. Genitals. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and the spell check didn't pick it up because genitals is an actual word. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And talking about your writing, and that just makes me... So happy. So thank you for sharing that one. 
Let's bring it back because we see how I hate to use the word successful because that is a very objective term and uh, success is different to each of us. So we'll say, you know, how rocking out you are right now. We'll go with that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I, tell us where this started, like especially with growing up and how you went from dealing with the physical disabilities and the learning disabilities and what that was like growing up and then going into and deciding that you can do college. Like, I guess the big question I have is what told you you could do something when so many people were telling you you couldn't? Okay. The short answer to that question is my mom. Because my mom always told me I could do anything. And you always have to have that one person in your corner. She always insisted from kindergarten on up that I was integrated. When integration wasn't a thing. <laughs> what is integration? Okay, integration is when you have children with all kinds of backgrounds in the same class all together. Okay. Okay, all different backgrounds, all different needs are all together and they're all learning together. Okay, so when I was very little, very young, because I'm gonna, at some point I'm gonna get in trouble with my darling husband for saying very little because I'm very, very little right now. <laughs> but um, when I was young, uh, this integration thing, this notion of having children with disabilities in regular school wasn't a thing. In fact, when I was born, my mom and dad were told to institutionalize me. Oh yeah, actually, before I was born, it was, my, di my disability was diagnosed prenatally. And my mom, my Irish Catholic mom, this is rich, uh, was told to abort. What do you do with an, what, if your parents so cho chose to institutionalize you, what would they do different? Like, you would just hang out in a room all the time and be medicated and just chill your entire life? Ding, 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 ding. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my mom said no to abortion. Thank goodness. <laughs> my parents said, no, we're, we're bringing her home. Thank goodness. And my parents said, we're going to try and get her into the neighborhood school. And my mom was my strongest advocate all the way along. And she talked to the principal, the director of the school board, anybody she had to, to get me in. And then she had to be on their case all the time to make sure that I wasn't being avoided, that I wasn't being uh, ignored, that the children were being encouraged to play with me, et cetera, et cetera. So it was pretty constant all the way up. And she was relentless. <laughs> so that's where I kind of got my spirit from. And then I went to not a, not a regular high school. I went to the high school that my mom dreamed I would go to. My mom saw this, saw a school in my city and it was, it was one of those, um, kilt parochial 
uniform regimented nuns. Catholic school then? Okay. Was it a boarding school or like just a during the day? It was a during the day school, okay. but it, it was, it was very regimented and it was an all girls Catholic school. And that's the school that my mom wanted her daughter to go to whenever that happened. So when the school was still open, when I was entering grade nine, that's the school that my mom sent me to. And that was fine because I had been bullied zero to eighth grade uh, by boys and I didn't want to have anything to do with boys. Thank you very much. So I was happy enough to go to the old girls school. And um, I made friends and I did quite well. I got good, good-ish grades. <laughs> Not great grades, but good enough grades. And uh, they had one special ed class. I had to take it three times because I was a special needs class, uh, child and they only had one class. So on the third try, and it wasn't because I failed. No, no. It was because that was the only class that they had. So they made me take it over and over and over again. Just because. On the third try, I practically ended up teaching the class. <clears throat> so fast forward to end of high school. Everybody was applying to university because that's what happened in my school. It was a 99.5% transition to university school. So I applied to university. Then they had a big board meeting and I was told that I shouldn't apply to university because I wasn't appropriate for university because I had special needs. I should be applying to college. I said, but I want to become a teacher. And they all said, well, no, that's probably not a good idea for you because you have disabilities and you couldn't handle all the children and any number of reasons all of which were bullshit. <laughs> so, um, I, I went ahead, applied, and one of the, one of the schools that I applied to had a supplementary application. It happened to be the local university. All of my other friends got their supplementary applications and I didn't get mine. So I went to the guidance department. And the head of the guidance department said, Oh, I thought you had decided not to apply to university. I saw your guidance counselor shred all your university applications. Yep. How were doctors treating you during this time? And what were they saying? Um, my doctors were treating me fine. Um, it, doctors at the pediatric level were basically fine. Everything ge generally went through my mother and was filtered through mom. The people I had a problem with were the therapists. And when I had to go to any clinics, I was paraded up and down in my underwear so that the uh, therapists could get a good view of my gait and a good view of um, how my hips moved and all of this. Um, I, I, I don't know at what point that began to bother me, but it, it has bothered me ever since. Let's just say that. And 
the rest of them treated me pretty good. Um, it was the, it's been the adult system that has sucked. <laughs> the adult system has treated me with utter disdain, ignorance, no respect. And I think that's just pervasive. What do you mean by that? Especially in, in the fact that, uh, I don't know a good way of asking this. So bear with me on this one of like, I've been to plenty of doctors that don't give me the time of day and have like no bedside manner. I'll, I'll say it like that. And, um, and don't believe me or things like that. So it's frustrating, but I'm just, I chalk it up to like, you know, the medical system. Um, but I could, how did that show up for you? Like what were in, like, how did it feel or how did they show that they weren't being respectful or like, how did that show up for you? Up until the age of 18, they were always dealing with my mother. And my mom is very sweet. Um, and she legitimately didn't know a few things. So she would ask in a very sweet, nice way. Okay, doctor, I, I caught this part, but what about this? And what about this? And all the doctors kind of loved my mom. And they kind of really just warmed to her. So she kind of got away without asking all the questions. And so we got the answers that we needed. And she was able to get the information because... She wasn't threatening, she wasn't rude, she wasn't asking too much. And then I turned 18. And the next time I had surgery after I turned 18, I started asking questions. And they, uh, they didn't like the way I asked questions because I'm a kid with a disability, and I'm not supposed to know how to ask questions. I gotcha. Because I'm not supposed to have a brain between my ears, uh, so I'm not supposed to be inquisitive like that, and I'm just supposed to go along with the plan without knowing the plan, and uh, this is for your own good, and I'm going, uh okay, well, um, you're cutting into me. Uh, no, I want to know where, why, and what are we doing, and what are the benefits, and what are the consequences? Yeah, it sounds like... like lay it all out for me. Yeah, it sounds like you had a similar experience with your teachers uh, from the high school or uh, up until then like till you turned 18 and then it happened with the, uh, with your medical care. How did you decide that you were going to go to university anyway? And what was that experience like with university of working through the projects when it sounds like a lot of times people assumed like you couldn't comprehend what was going on? I knew better. See, that's the, that's the thing, is that people can assume whatever the heck they want, but if you know you can, don't let them railroad you. That's one of the key things I always try to instill in people. Know what, know what you are capable of at your most core and if you believe that you can just go do it 
and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. What? Because there will there will be people who will try to. What would you say to people that didn't have a mom like yours or, uh, you know, people that were their cheerleaders going through this and they're hearing they can't do so much in life? Would you have a suggestion for people like that that have gone through it so that way they start to see their own light, their own possibilities? Yeah, um, I think if you have, if you have a dream, if you have a vision of something better, like if you can dream it or if you can envision something that you want, that's the starting point. You don't actually have to believe that you can do it. You just have to trust that you came up with that, that that is somewhere in you and hook into someone who can instill that in that belief in you, in you. Um, from somewhere and I'm on Facebook come and find me <laughs> I I do this all the time with people uh, because I I believe in people when they don't believe in themselves I love that and I'm gonna ask a question uh, this one might come across weird and I I've seen and I've heard from many people and you mentioned about the boys bullying you and I can only imagine that was definitely more about the physical appearance. Um, and that's me guessing there. So you correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, and something that I was made fun of uh, till I had surgery when I was 17 was uh so many of the kids nicknamed me Loppy because my left breast never developed and my right one did. So that was like the cool nickname that everybody wanted to give me and deal. And it was by no means is this a disability, you know, it's just a body part to me. Like that's how I, I feel about it. But for those who have disabilities that physical disabilities that limit them and they have those really mean people around them or, you know, people that aren't asking questions, how, what would you tell yourself back in, you know, pre ninth grade when those boys were making fun of you to be able to help yourself get through it? If I could go back to my 11 year old self, I would tell her two things. One, tell someone. You deserve to tell someone because this is not right. And you don't deserve to hold this in. Two, You're worth it. And this, this is something that kids do. Some kids are just mean. But if you can get through this piece, life's going to get so much better. I love that. Just hold on. Because life will get so much better. I love that. And something that really hit me during our intro call, and this is uh, to the audience, this is something that Tara like hit me with as like the quick recap of who Tara is, is she was like, yeah, I have physical disabilities, uh, learning disabilities, and I'm not supposed to live alone. I'm not supposed to be married. 
and I am, and I do. And I'm like, wait, what? Run that by me one more time. So if you could kind of like walk me through that, because why do they say you can't live alone? Okay. So, um, in a lot of, in a lot of countries, uh, we, in, in the U S and Canada are quite fortunate in that we have certain liberties that there, that a lot of the world does not have. Okay. But in a lot of the world, people with disabilities would literally not be allowed to live apart from their families. And if they were allowed, they wouldn't be able to exist apart from their families. Okay. So that's what I mean. Uh, and when I was born, um, Right up till the early 80s, when they started closing all the institutions, or most of the institutions, some of them are still in existence, but very, very few. When they started closing them all, they basically just put people out on the street and said, you're now deinstitutionalized. Have a good life. And... People didn't know exactly how to do that. So they had to come up with social structures in order to provide the stability for people. Um, so they came up with social housing. They came up with uh, social benefits, these types of things. This doesn't exist universally. And it certainly didn't exist when I was first when I was born. So we're not talking ancient history. Like we're talking within my lifetime. Um, people with my conditions were not supposed to live, live on their own or live in, live in community, live on their own. And right up until practically I reached adulthood, the notion that you had a disability and you were getting married, that was mind blowing. That was red. Cause that's that always, was re revolutionary. Like I'm always curious how couples meet because I love their like, meat cutes, I think is what they call it now, or meat cutes. And I like, our, I, I don't know if that's the term, but like, I'm curious, how did you meet your husband? Our story is the best. Our story is the absolute best. Okay. So we, we met on eHarmony. Ooh la la. Who okay. talked to who first? I talked to him first. Well, we already knew you were a go-getter. <laughs> okay, so backstory to eHarmony was I was living in another province of Canada uh, up until I moved back home. And I only moved back home to live with my mom and dad because my mom got sick. Hmm. And I knew then that I had to move back. The, this was right at the end of my MSW. So I finished school, packed up, and traveled back home. And I had been living with a good friend of mine. She's now a good friend. She was only she was my roommate. I met her yeah. when when we started living together. And we both moved back to Ontario. She moved up north for a job, and I moved close to Toronto to be with my family. And 
we kind of lost contact. But about a year later, we reconnected. And she was telling me about this guy she met through eHarmony. And at first, she was telling me how smitten she was and it was going great and blah, blah, blah. The next thing I knew, he broke her heart. And she was bawling on the phone. So I said to her, look, do me a favor. For a month, do anything that has nothing to do with men. Okay. Just take, just take a break from all this looking for guys thing, you know, just, just focus on yourself. And she said, okay, if I do that, then I want you to do something for me. I'm like, okay, what? She said, go on eHarmony. And I said, uh, no, because when we were living together, we had done plenty of fish, lava life, like all of them. We tried them all. None of them worked. And I was like, oh, do I have to? She said, do the personality profile. Don't invest. Just look and see who pops up. And if you don't like anything, then don't spend a penny. Just take the personality profile. You are a social worker. You do like these things. Knowing about yourself, that's something you're into. So do that. I'm like, okay, that sounds slightly narcissistic. And she's like, yeah, deliberately. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> but anyways, I did. And within about, let's say two weeks, maybe, I was, I started getting connections right away. Like, right away. A lot, a lot of connections. And I was flipping through all the connections and no, 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 no. About two weeks later, I get this connection, Todd from Brampton. And I was living in the next city over. So right away, okay, it's close. And this guy looks cute. Okay. So, and he looks vaguely familiar. Vaguely. I read the profile. First sentence of the profile says, you need to know that I use a wheelchair just like everybody else uses a car to get around outside of the house. The rest of the time, when I'm in my apartment, I crawl around. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty quick getting around regardless where I am. I'm like, that's a really neat way of saying things. That's really cool. Okay. Intrigued. Fast forward to we have we have our we had our first date and our second date. <laughs> um and now I'm at we meet up at his place and no, actually the very first time we were talking, one of the very first times we were talking, I said to him, look, I'm not going to be home because I have, um, I have a meeting tonight and he said, that's okay. I'm not going to be available today very much. And I said, okay, well, we'll talk tomorrow. So next day we were, we were chatting and he said, so how was your meeting? I said, oh, my meeting was all right. I said, how was yours? 
He said, mm, not bad. I've I've been doing this this big bro big brothers big sisters thing for a while, and it's kind of going a bit slow. I'm like, oh yeah, what organization are you with? You know, you know, totally thinking big brothers big sisters. It's like, oh, it's a, it's this thing in the saga called Aaron Oak. I'm like. That's where I was tonight. So we were both at the same place on the same day, just hours apart from one another. And I'm like, what meeting did you say you were at? He's like, I was at this, we call it mentorship. I'm like, so I said, when did you start that? And he said, oh, about, about 15 years ago, maybe? I'm like, you're Todd from mentorship? Oh my god. <laughs> That's where I know you from. He's like, And so I, he's, he's like, I don't get it. So I showed him a picture of me. He's like, oh my God, I remember exactly what you were wearing the very first time I met you. Aw, how cute. So does, do you have to use a wheelchair too? Or no. you can walk? Yeah. Okay. So, and is he still in a wheelchair? How does that work with the two of you? I, I know I'm skipping ahead because I, I love your meet cute, but I don't want to, you know, miss through the, the the other details too, because I do love your meet cute. That is, that's so sweet because you guys actually knew each other beforehand. Um, how, how, yeah. Just to, just to skip forward. Uh, we, we got engaged because um, a year after we were dating because I told him that I wouldn't not to bother asking me to marry him until we were at least a year dating because I wouldn't say yes. So he waited a year and three hours. <laughs> and then we were looking for pictures for a, um, a photo montage. We were looking for pictures of me growing up and him growing up and then the two of us together. Well, his mom or dad had taken a picture of a 10-year-old him and an 8-year-old me that they had at a sporting event. they kept. So his mom and dad had a picture of me when I was eight years old. That's creepy and really cute all at the same time. Uh-huh. That is so, okay. Aww. How, <laughs> like, especially with, like you said, you lived with a roommate, he lived alone. So it sounds like you two are still pretty independent. So able to live together. But uh -huh. with both having physical disabilities, does that make it hard to live together and rely on each other? Mm, you would think so, but no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, you, you might think so, but um, actually, no, because we were very, uh, we're very, very good at complimenting each other. And... What he's really good at, I'm really bad at. <laughs> and what he's, what I'm stronger in, he's a little bit weaker in. And so we really, really compliment each other. And um, we just make it work. And we've got the most awesome relationship ever. And how <laughs> long have you been married? 13 years. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah. That is wonderful. And I guess like fast forwarding a bit more. So you mentioned that you have two bachelors, a master, you're a coach, and you've written a book, right? Uh-huh. All right. So what is tell us a bit about your book too. Okay. So the book is called Visible and Empowered. Um, and basically what it is, it's a how it's a how-to guide for people with disabilities of all ages and um all I guess it's all diversities on how to live a great life. And it it's basically um, how to make it through the healthcare system, how to make it through the social service system, um, how to uh, apply for benefits, how to apply for uh, accommodations. And this is all uh, Canada-based, right? Canadian-based? Uh, it has international... Uh, it has international... Um, reference, I guess. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't specifically use anything uh, that's Canada-specific. It's... I guess I guess as far as specific as I get is now in hindsight it's probably more western if I if I had to be honest now that I know a little bit about some nation states uh, that don't have a western ideology mm-hmm. um, I can't claim that it's internationally um, based. Uh, And for that, I'm kind of sad, but... You can have another book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And when I I write the other book, I already have it titled, um, and when I write the other book, I'm going to uh, make it more amenable to... uh, all people, because um, it's not going to be about particular politics. It's going to be a, about um, asserting your power, asserting your uh, your individual autonomy, and cool. how ha- how to do that, um, and how to thrive in life. And and I know we've covered quite a bit from how you grew up and the challenges you went through in school and also with the doctors and then uh, your meat cute. I like your meat cute. Uh, <laughs> and then also like what it's like living together. What are there any topics that you were like, I really wanted to cover and let the audience know about your journey that we didn't cover so far. Yeah. I, I really want people to know about um, what I'm doing right now, which is um, I have a Facebook community uh, called Empowered to Thrive. And for those who are more, um, I guess, I don't want to, I don't want to say politically active, but socially active. more more driven to create change mm-hmm. in in how things are and they want to see things change uh, I also have um, a, mem- uh, a membership site and so that's be that's just built so uh, we're, we're, we're building that and um, I am currently actually, uh, developing programs so that I can uh, create partnerships between people with disabilities who are who have talents and skills 
um, but are looking for jobs and people who are uh, business owners and have job vacancies because of COVID. That's cool. Yeah. I like that matchup. I wish yeah. I, I wish I was at a point where I could hire at the podcast. I'm like, any volunteers? Because we're still working on making money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll keep that in mind for the future, though. And and how do people, like, what is, uh, you mentioned the Facebook group, but how do people reach out to you on social media or on your website? Facebook is, is the best way, honestly. Uh, Facebook or uh, email. Okay, and we'll have that listed in the show description. So, um, Facebook is the best direct avenue. I'm on all social media, but Facebook is the one that I hang out on. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna find me, you're gonna find me on Facebook. Perfect. And what are some words of encouragement that you would want to leave our audience with? If you have a vision of something that you think you want or something that you think you want changed, run with it. Find the person, find a person who can be your cheerleader, your, uh, the person who can stand behind you and uh, advocate and push you and uh, be the strength, be the wind beneath your wings, just like my mom was. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So, and if... If you, if, if you find me um, and you have that, that sort of notion that, uh, gee, I wish I could do blah, or I have, I have this little tiny desire to do this, but I don't, I don't have the first clue how, we'll figure it out. Ditto, because hit us up on... Uh shit to talk about which is the all social media handles for the podcast it's honestly i've met so many incredible incredible people like tara that you hit us up i may not know the answer i'm gonna go probably don't know the answer but i know people and people have the answer (laughs) exactly you know i i don't i don't even pretend to know all the answers but i I know people who know people who know people. Exactly. And um, I can I can either point you in the right direction or give you the first step, or I can take that first step with you and link you with the next person who will take the next step with you. I love so that. you don't you don't have to take the journey alone. Yes. Yes. And Tara, what is something that you're grateful for? Everything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for opportunity. I'm grateful for graces. I'm grateful for, uh, contacts like you. And I'm grateful for the enduring love of my family. Oh, I love that. I'm something that I'm grateful for is people opening up and sharing their stories. It's not always the easiest to dig into the nitty gritty and talk about this shit. And I appreciate it because it gives my hope is that it gives others the space to open up and share their stories and to know that they're not alone. So thank you. Tara. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I hope 
if somebody feels inspired to share their story or wants help telling their story, um, just look for me. I'm here. I love it, Tara. Thank you and talk soon. Thank you so much. Talk soon. We appreciate you listening to the episode. Please like, follow, and share on our social media at shit to talk about. That is shit the number two talk about. Stay tuned on Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. This episode was made possible by production manager Trom Nguyen, business manager Bill Powell, and your host Jeff.